and welcome to the Orton Family Foundation's Heart and Soul Talks Conference Call Series. These talks, we, uh, for these talks, we bring in practitioners to share their stories and to focus on key tools and solutions aimed at building better communities. Community Heart and Soul is the Orton Family Foundation's signature community development and planning method that empowers residents to plan their future based on what matters most to them. My name is Fran Stoddard, and today we focus on the results towns have witnessed following Orton's community heart and soul process. In this hour-long event, you'll hear how heart and soul projects got results, both short and long-term, and helped create brighter futures for small towns in Colorado, Maine, and Vermont. We welcome three guests today. Patricia Hart joins us from Gardner, Maine, where she sits on City Council. Hi, Pat. Hi, Fran, and good afternoon, everyone. Glad to join you. Great. And Liz Subin is the former Community Heart and Soul Co-Coordinator for Essex, Vermont. Hi, Liz. Hi, Fran. Hi, everyone. I'm really excited to be here today. Great. Welcome. And finally, Sersha Cheris-Graves is a city councilor in Golden, Colorado, although she is joining us from a Colorado Municipal League conference in Vail. Welcome, Sersha. Welcome, or <laughs> thank you, and uh, I know, um, I, just like everyone else, I'm very happy to be here. Okay, great. We have about uh, over 150 folks registered today. Welcome to you all. We've put uh, the listeners on mute to keep the audio as clean as possible. In your email is a link to our Google document, a shared online document for note-taking and questions so you can interact with us. You can open that document in your browser to follow along while Orton's Caitlin Davison takes notes. These notes will be proofed and refined after the call, providing a great resource for you in the future. And you can add your own comments or questions to the document in real time. It's a good idea to skim through there now to see questions that have already been submitted to avoid redundancy. We'll leave this document up after the call for your continued input and reference for everybody else who's listening in on the call. In a few days, we'll also send links to the call notes and the podcast to all of the participants. Since the Google Doc can only handle 50 people as active document editors at a time, if you aren't adding to the document by using the edit button, please close out and reopen the doc in the read-only mode. If you're having any trouble with Google Docs during the call, click on the refresh icon and that should do it. If you're having other technical issues, you can email Caitlin Davison at cdavison at orton.org. But please send your questions or comments for this call via the Google document. Thanks so much. So now on to our guests. One of our earliest communities to try community heart and soul is Golden, Colorado. So we'll start out west and move east. This first guest, Sersha Cheris-Graves, is serving her second term on Golden, Colorado City Council. Golden's commitment to public engagement, as demonstrated by their participation in Heart and Soul, was a major, major influence in her decision to run for public office. She currently serves as a Heart and Soul champion for the Orton Family Foundation, assisting with outreach to cities across the country. Sersha also organizes and leads weekly community walks for all ages and abilities, and she certainly knows how to engage her constituency. She also does a monthly coffee with the counselor. It's so fun to have you here, Sersha. Thank you for joining us, and hopefully you will share some of Golden's outcomes from the community heart and soul process. Take it away. Absolutely. Thank you, Fran. 
Well, first, a little bit about Golden. Um, we are a beautiful little historic town on the west end of the Denver metro area with a scenic mountain stream running right through the center of town. We're surrounded by mesas and foothills, which uniquely separates us visually and physically from the Denver suburbs. And some folks definitely want to keep it that way. We are also home to Colorado School of Mines, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, and of course, Coors Beer. So people love coming to and living in Golden. And our challenge was that we had many concerns about too rapid growth and perceived threats to our quality of life from pressures both within and outside the community. So we needed a plan and one that would last. I have a quote to share. This is from a very senior level staff member with lots of white hair and uh, lots of years in planning. He said, this is the total opposite of any plan I've ever done before. Other plans are good for three to five years. But we knew early on that this, the heart and soul process, would be something that would actually be relevant all the way to 2030. The most significant result of our heart and soul process was taking that plan, that vision we created together of who we are and what makes golden golden, which we call the Golden Vision 2030, and embedding it in all of our foundational documents, as well as all of our decision-making processes. So the first thing we did was uh, we redid our comp plan to align with our community's values and make that our guide to all future planning. Then we moved on to neighborhood plans, which are still in progress, where we heard from the communities in each specific area of Golden about their desires and concerns. Our first neighborhood plan, uh, the central neighborhood plan, uh, immediately identified a need to revise our zoning. And so we created the community mixed-use zoning districts, which are now embedded in municipal code. Of course, not all neighborhoods need uh, a change in zoning, but if they do, it's available, it's ready. A very recent neighborhood plan identified a concern about how roundabouts were functioning, and this area uniquely has four of them. And you may know how much people love roundabouts. Um, so Public Works is now committed within that neighborhood plan in writing to the follow-up that was desired by residents. And as I said already, all of our decisions are guided by Golden Vision 2030. Our policy making, our legislative decisions, our capital investment priorities, and very recently, just within the past three months actually, we have, we've, um, we're moving into a refinement. It's an experiment, but a refinement of our budget process. And the key change is that we're now going to be gathering more citizen input up front, both individually and through our volunteer boards and commissions. So that same senior level staff member recently told me that going through the heart and soul process and identifying our shared values has given our city staff the liberty to try new things, the freedom to take risks. And because Golden Vision 2030 is so solidly embedded 
in the community and reflects what he calls enduring values that are as relevant today as they were six or seven years ago, staff has a, a really solid base from which to work so they can experiment. Things such as providing a subsidy for a community circulator bus in partnership with RTD, grade separated bike lanes with a recent, uh, built into a recent complete street project, a hybrid model of bike sharing, uh, which reflects Golden's unique topography and needs via a large grant from CDOT. Allowing citizens to choose their preferred design for a traffic calming project, and working with nonprofits on community action programs. And some results of that are a very large and robust community garden, as well as numerous neighborhood rehab projects, those particularly focused on serving our lower income communities. Finally, I believe our agreement about Golden Vision 2030 transcends the political ideologies that are creating so much divisiveness today. And that's not to say there aren't some tensions in our public conversations, but we stay fairly grounded in what we know about what matters most to our residents. So when a constituent asks me who decided Golden should consider increasing affordable housing in our community, I can share with him. It was us the people of Golden, who wanted to keep housing options diverse in order to preserve our small town look, feel, and character. See, it's right here on page 23 of our Golden Vision 2030 plan. So that's just a quick glance at some of our results from Heart and Soul. And of course, I'd be happy to share more examples later on in the Q&A. Terrific. Thank you so much, Sersha. Um it's, a, it's such a wonderful story and so clear, and I'm sure that other people from municipal areas, seeing that you can say it's right there on page 20, whatever you need, it would be exceedingly helpful. Thank you so much. On to our next guest. Liz Subin holds a master's degree in international administration and recently served as one of the project co-coordinators for the Heart and Soul of Essex, Vermont. She now serves on the board of Heart and Soul, a group that stewards the Heart and Soul work continuing to engage community on what matters most to the people who live and work in Essex after the process had been finished. She's a founding director of the Pennywise Foundation, a nonprofit that seeks to generate support for innovative and collaborative nonprofit organizations around the world that leverage small donations of goods, services, or money to create sustainable pathways to positive change. She's also currently a school board member in Essex and works as a consultant for the Orton Family Foundation. Thank you so much for being with us, Liz. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm really excited to talk about our project in Essex. Um, I'm just going to start with some background information. The town of Essex and the village of Essex Junction are overlapping municipalities in northwestern Vermont. There are about 20,000 residents here, and for more than 50 years, we have been grappling with how our futures fit together, whether to merge or to separate, and what that would look like. Governing boards, committees, and municipal services coordinate to varying degrees, so many of these ent entities still do function separately. 
The question Hart and Furl sought to answer is not whether to merge or to separate, but how we can work together to lay the groundwork for an enduring future and focus on what we share rather than what divides us. So our project began in 2012 as a two-year community initiative. Uh, and over the course of those two years, we engaged more than 1,000 people from all parts of our community. We identified a set of six core values that we hope will drive community decision-making both now and in the future. And we identified actions that the community could take right away to bring our values to life. These values that I'm talking about that we identified and all the documents relating to the process and strategies we use to get there can be found on our website, which is on the Google Doc that you have in front of you. So I would encourage you to look uh, there for more detail. So since 2014, we've seen a change in the way people do business in Essex and what our community members expect from our leaders around engagement. I'm just going to give a few examples here of how the process is working in Essex. And again, feel free to ask more questions later on in the call. The first real clear example is our town plan. We're, I'm pleased to announce that the town of Essex won the Vermont Planners Association uh, 2016 Town Plan of the Year. Because of the heart and soul process, this year's plan was different in scope, in length, in participation, design, and creativity than any plan in Essex planning history. The community development team worked extremely hard to include community voice in the plan and to focus on what matters most to the people that live and work in Essex. Because of this intentional outreach and communication, the Essex plan won by a landslide. And if you look through it, again, it's, it's linked on the document. You'll see why. It's easy to read. Our, the community values are, are weaved throughout. There's photographs. People can really identify with it. And rather than a black and white uh, document that sits on a shelf, this is, this is going to be and has already proven to be a really usable document for our community. Um, the next example is our school consolidation. In November of last year, our communities overwhelmingly supported a vote to consolidate our schools and form one district. The last vote to the community failed. This one was successful, um, and one of our district superintendents attributed the successful vote to the work that Heart and Soul did in the community to build trust and to help design the communications and engagement strategy of the study group that brought this work to the community and allowed people to, um, to trust the process. The next is, um, is thoughtful growth was one of our, of the six core values that we identified. Of our values, thoughtful growth was the one that the residents found to be in most need of urgent attention. So last March, voters approved funding to form a committee and hold a facilitated conversation about new approaches to planning governance structures in the town of Essex and the village of Essex Junction. This whole project stemmed from the belief highlighted by the Heart and Soul project process that the community wants a shared vision that honors and builds on the unique characteristics of the village and the town outside the village. Um, and recommendations and, and, the, the pro and, the, and documentation of the process can, can be also found on, on the Google Doc, so I'd encourage you to look at that for more detail. Another successful endeavor was for the forming of the Essex Governance Group. This project was initiated also in the summer of 2014 when an organization called Budget to Ballot, which is a group of residents concerned about the low turnout at our town and village annual meeting, 
approached the town select board and village trustees about moving budget approval from the traditional town village meeting format to Australian or ballot box voting. Supported by the town of Essex and Heart and Soul, this group came together along with other interested citizens to research and analyze residents' feelings and practices around voting and public engagement, research voting methods used in other communities, and explore additional ways to improve citizen participation. The end result was so much more robust and meaningful than a this or that, either or solution, and really looked into models of governance that could be applied to our community. And again, that report with process and recommendations are uh, linked on our website. So some other outcomes, I'm just going to go down a laundry list of things that we achieved here or, or continue to work on here in Essex and would encourage you to ask more questions later on in the call. So we, uh, the hiring of a first shared manager in more than 40 years in our community for the village and the town outside of the village. A recreation governance committee was formed and is now recommending a unified municipal park district for the town and village to function as one. New youth and adult leaders step forward to manage the project, reach out to community, and lead a wide variety of activities. We engaged many people who hadn't been involved before, including myself. We trained over 30 residents to facilitate public conversations and engaged many more as volunteers. We pioneered new ways to engage people and create successful models that can be replicated. And we recognized three important roles we play in our community as convener, connector, and champion of our community values. As, as a convener, we host and coordinate a variety of events, including large public forums and facilitated small group community conversations. As a connector, we connect citizens with local government, building relationships among town and village staff and other community organizations, connecting the community's input with decisions. And as champions or advocates, we ensure that community values are incorporated into decision making and acknowledge the people and organizations that are taking action to strengthen those community values. So it's a lot of work, it's a lot of fun, and the results have been transformative both personally and for our entire community. I look forward to your questions, and thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, Liz. It is very inspiring. Our third guest, as we move further east, is uh, Patricia Hart. She's been active in her community of Gardner, Maine, in many roles. She's been a Rotarian for 24 years, a Gardner Main Street volunteer, volunteer at the local theater, Chair of the Planning Board for 10 years, and is currently serving her third term as City Councilor. Patricia was Chair of the Planning Board when Gardner first considered becoming a heart and soul community to support its comprehensive planning process. Through her planning and community work, she has had firsthand experience with community heart and soul and how it can support a city's long-range plan. An economist, Pat has owned and operated a consulting firm in Gardner that provides economic analysis, program evaluation, research, and facilitation services. She has a bachelor's degree in economics and classical studies, a master's degree in resource economics, and is a certified public health professional. It's so terrific to have you with us. Thank you, Pat. And tell us about Gardner and what you saw happen there. Oh, thank you, Fran. It's an honor to be following two great stories from the West and then our neighbor uh, in Vermont. And now I'm glad to introduce you all to Gardner, Maine. 
Uh, Gardner is located in central Maine, which is the central part of the populated portion of Maine. If you looked at the map, we're actually, it looks like southern. But we're, we're in the area called central Maine, and there's um, 5,800 people. So we're a very tiny city in the scheme of things. Uh, the city is located on the banks of the Kennebec River and the Cobbesee Stream and is a former mill town, like many of the New England towns. Um, and as a former mill town, the city has been suffering from uh, what one can only call economic distress over the last 20 years. We had um, two major paper mills shut down in the 90s, a textile mill shut down, state offices moved out. Uh, all in the span of about 12 years. We found ourselves in 2011 at a really um, a, a difficult spot. Not only had we had those big industries leave Gardner, but we also had our uh, remaining large uh, private employer, Gardner Savings Bank, was in receivership for bad loans that it had um, given out prior to the recession. Uh, we had Associated Grocers. It was a big grocery store distribution center for the independent grocers. That had gone bankrupt and shut down. So we just had bad news after bad news after bad news. Uh, and so with all that bad news, we had dwindling population. We actually have fewer people now than we did in 1990. Um, that led to having a very high tax rate as well. As the business is left, the residents had to pick up the tax rate. We had the highest tax rate in the county and uh, one of the higher ones for the state. So in 2011, we uh, needed to update our comprehensive plan. And not only was it an update, we needed to completely refresh it. Uh, the comprehensive plan that we had was, was woefully out of date, and the state requires the plans to be current within 10 or 15 years or so. So we looked at this opportunity um, and we learned about Heart and Soul and the Orton Foundation and we, uh, we really grabbed it and we looked forward to seeing a way to engage people, to have some thoughtful discussions about how to tackle the, this what seemed to be unfathomable problem. Um, in the past when I had worked on plans and I would say minor updates to the comprehensive plan, we would have two or three people show up to the meetings. And, um, and then as we would implement our ordinances, we'd have scores of people showing up yelling at us after the ordinances had already been passed and we were trying to administer them as a planning board. So get heart and soul and the means to engage people at the beginning of the process and understand their values and what they hoped for. Uh, we saw that as an, an incredible opportunity. So what we did for Heart and Soul was um, we had the good fortune to wrap it right into our comprehensive plan. That was the specific reason why we were uh, engaged in Heart and Soul. But we also knew that it was a little bit more holistic than the comprehensive plan. It expanded beyond the responsibilities of the municipality proper. It included the work that we all do as good community members and stewards of our, of our communities. So um, once we did this step of seeing what people valued, we had a lot of fun with that, a lot of different ways to collect information and engage people, we diverted into two different tracks. And one was to continue to seek input for the comprehensive plan, but the second piece was also to get to know more about what the community wanted 
um, both specifically and generally. So um, the, the outcome of all this was a comprehensive plan that was based on values. Uh, those values, like the other two communities, are posted in the city council chambers. Uh, we do refer to them. We referred to them last night as we were finalizing our budget for the next fiscal year. Uh, we refer to them often, and it's really wonderful to be reminded at times when we get into heated discussions that there is a community that has a broader set of values that, that should be brought into every decision we make. So that was a step continues to be a really um, important outcome, as it was for the other two communities. Um, with the comprehensive plan, we had some land use uh, proposals and actions that were taken, and I'll, I'll go over those in a minute. But the second thing that we did, in addition to the comprehensive plan, was we had a companion plan that was more of an action plan for the community. You know, there's lots of people that love to talk about land use issues like I do and maybe many of you, um, but we also have lots of people who like to swing a hammer and make a picnic table and put it down at the waterfront like my fellow Rotarians. So we had our separate set of action plans that were truly more action-packed and, and um, focused. Those included things like, I said, build the picnic tables to put down on the waterfront, hold outdoor movies, concerts, um, buy local, put in planters in our main street, you know, things that, that were quick hits, visual and important um, morale boosters for folks. So we're pretty excited to have that. So I'll just circle back and explain some of the comprehensive plan outcomes. Um, we we had some really interesting planning issues, as many of you, I'm sure, do as well. One issue here in Old Milltown is that we have these, um, what we call non-conforming uses, and those are the schools, churches, factories that were located in the historic neighborhoods but are no longer used for those purposes. And uh, when when these buildings become out of use, it it really is a challenge about what is appropriate to put in those buildings, and how can it be used to accommodate the, the residences who are used to a residential look and feel, but also don't want to have this a big beast of an abandoned building in their midst. So we, we adopted an adaptive reuse overlay ordinance, and I'd be happy to talk about the details of that with folks, but the long and short of it was is that allowed a, um, a new business to come into town that wanted to brew cider and use the church for a tasting room. And so by putting restrictions on how that building could be used and preserving its lovely historic features, we were able to balance the needs of the neighborhood as well as the business owner to come in and, and put that building to use. So the building had a huge hole in the, in the roof that I could even see a tarp right from here over the roof of the, of the church. And now he's working to fix it and reclaiming it. So it's a win-win for everybody. We have a business. We have a building back in use and, um, you know, an eyesore that's attended to. So so we, we looked at things like that, and we were able to put in new features in our comprehensive plan and our land use ordinances that would accommodate more uses. We relaxed some of our home occupation regulations so more people could work out of their houses if they chose to. Uh, we made a lot of changes to our land use map. We changed sign ordinances. We addressed um, agricultural issues in town. The, um, the crossover between the comprehensive plan and our action plan really was uh, a focus on local food. And one of our big successes from um, not only heart and soul, but uh, little embers of excitement that were already 
beginning to spark before the plan was our local food co-op. Um, there was a group of people that wanted to open a, a cooperative grocery store here in town, and they tried and tried for years, and they were slowly, slowly gaining um, favor in town, and then the heart and soul process was able to really push them forward and give them the confidence and also the funding that they needed. They got a lot of member owners, and they were able to secure grants. So I'm happy to say they're downstairs. I bought my lunch there today, and that is one of our great successes. They've been there a year. They've been exceeding their expectations. We had a buy local initiative that came out of heart and soul. That's going strong. That does those, um, as you all know, those week monthly promotions where you get the placemat with the little coupons around the edge and information in the middle is nice um, takeaways. And you can also have them um, as, um, I guess, QR codes or coupons on your on your smartphone. Uh, I talked about the outdoor movies and concerts. And we also were able to attract uh, all kinds of new businesses. There's been a new meat packing plant that processes both chicken and beef. Again, local foods, the cidery came in. Um, we have a new mushroom grower in town. We have a, a, a whole mix of folks. There's another distillery that's trying to come in. I think what's happened is there's such a positive spirit now and a can-do spirit and um, a group of regulations and ordinances that are more welcoming and supportive of business that we're, we're seeing all kinds of um, new economic development. So overall, we've had a million dollars in grants that we've been able to bring in by showing that we have um, not only the, the legwork and the good solid underpinnings, but also the community support for these things. Um, and lastly, the, what I would like to share is just the, the same thing that Sarsha and um, Liz shared from the West Coast and from Vermont, and that is the community engagement has never been stronger. Um, the first few years we had heart and soul, the, um, we had a record number of people running for office. The year before we were begging people to run for office. So we actually had a competition that year and it hasn't stopped since. We have more volunteers than ever. Um, we have a much more vibrant uh, Main Street program. We have a Gardner Main Street program. In 2011 we didn't have an executive director and through this process not only um, do we have an executive director but one that was highly skilled and has certainly taken advantage and, and led us all through this um, heart and soul process. But the, um, the very final thing I want to talk about is that community spirit has, um, you know, not only lifted us out of our, our economic dislocation and, and really made us a, a destination, but it's also made us a better community. We had, uh, we had a series of fires last year, one that we thought was horrible displaced seniors in the middle of the night when it was five below zero and we had, you know, 25 inches of snow or more on the ground. Just a horrible fire. And then five months later, we had another fire that burned a building in our downtown district. This, this um, place, 12 apartments, so I think about 20 people. And, and then we had another fire that just kept going on. And every time, because we had our community reserves to tap into, people came forward, helped people, helped find belongings and find replacements for kitchen setups and bedroom sets and delivered furniture and raised money. And, you know, I'm so proud of what everybody's been able to do. It's been wonderful that it's been about community development and economic development, but just that spirit of, uh, of neighborliness and, and tapping into what is good, good parts of everybody here. It's really been 
our proudest moment. So I invite you all to come visit us in Gardner. <laughs> Love to have you. And uh, I look forward to answering questions. Great. Pat, thank you so much. It is truly remarkable to hear all of these results. And just following Community Heart and Soul a little bit, there are all these results that happen that you hope for, and then there are results you never even expected that are wonderful. And I, I am hearing some examples I hadn't heard of uh, before. It's, it's just wonderful what you all bring to the table. So let's get on to our, our questions. Uh, the, the first one is, what is the optimal size of a community to use heart and soul effectively? Population versus geography, town versus county. This is from Betty in Pennsylvania. And I'm just going to take a quick stab at this uh, question so we can move on with the other ones. Uh, Orton has worked with towns from under 1,000 people and up to 45,000. I, I believe that Orton says it's for towns under 50,000. And it focuses on rural towns, but we find that urban and suburban places are also picking it up. Uh, counties are a little bit more challenging because we find that towns need to find their own identity, and then they can connect more broadly with their county or region. But as you heard from Liz, it was really two different governments that have pulled together with this process. Uh, we also had three towns in the North Fork Valley of Colorado that partnered together to do this process, and they found partnerships that they had never experienced before. We also have a help desk that you can contact. Our people can help you assess how Community Heart and Soul might work for you in your community. So download the field guide and um, check in with our help desk. So we'll get on uh, to the next question, which is from... Uh, Sherry, or Cherry from Colorado, and she says, I'm particularly interested in measuring and evaluating community engagement in order to make the economic case for investing, long-term versus short-term re uh, returns, etc. And we have another um, evaluation question that we're going to get to in a minute. But Pat, since you're the economist here and probably do some measuring, uh, what, what would you suggest to uh, Cherry? Yeah, thank you, Fran and Jerry, for the question. Um, that's a it's an interesting dilemma in the field of program evaluation, trying to evaluate the value of community input. What I would say is, if you're using it to persuade uh, government officials or community members to get involved, I think you need to sort of you need to look at the what does the world look like if there's no community involved? What decisions do you come up with without community input? Um, and it's a very different outcome than having community input. That said, you can certainly talk about the numbers of folks that have been that you want to include. Um, you can compare that to the numbers of folks in your community. So, for example, you should you could say our community is a mix of 40% young people, 60% older people. We want to make sure that we reach both groups of people. Um, you could do a network analysis to see the different kinds of, of groups of people that are active in town and make sure that you include them. That's actually a step in the heart and soul process. But as far as showing the monetary benefit of having a community involved, I mean, the plan, um, the plan is for the community. And um, in any evaluation strategy or any evaluation framework, you always start by engaging your stakeholders. So. Um, so it's kind of a, 
you can't have community development without having the community involved. But there are ways to to show stakeholders how to do it. Mm. Great. Thank you, Pat. And another, this is actually question 11. I won't jump around um, again, but because it was so similar, uh, I was looking at Sally from Wisconsin's question on how do you attract long-term changes that result from heart and soul community engagement? And she says, for example, five determinants of health, community voice, et cetera. So, uh, Liz, I know that your community is involved with evaluation now. What would what would you say to Sally about tracking these kinds of changes as a result of Heart and Soul? Um, so, yeah, thanks for the question. Our community um, is working right now on a community report card template that we hope we are that will be able to be replicated across project towns that are looking to measure these kind of outcomes. Um, we, we, we recognize that we need to really take stock of how we're doing in these areas and to connect some of those dots between what we did and some of the things that are happening before those connections get lost. Um, this all came from the process. We recognize that sharing stories and doing the work that we did brought us to, to, uh, to as Fran was saying earlier, all these unexpected outcomes that weren't part of what we set out to do. Um, so what we're trying to do is to is work with the Orton Family Foundation to create that template for evaluating and monitoring outcomes and looking at what's missing. Um, what we are really focusing on is helping the community recognize its wins and and what it still wants to work on. So so um, raising awareness about what's happening, identifying the gaps in that work, helping municipal leaders prioritize future goals and resource deployment. And then finally, identifying opportunities to connect residents with the opportunities to act. Um, again, it's about telling the stories and, and, and watching them grow from the seeds that we planted when the project began to, to the trees that are growing now as a result. And um, you can look forward to that as a resource through Orton. Hopefully by the end of this year, we'll have something that will be a template that will look at this and be a matrix for evaluating um, based that you can take to your own community and tailor to um, what makes sense to you. Terrific. And uh, Liz, this might be for you again. It's kind of a personal question, so hopefully we'll get to it quickly. But uh, this is Christine from Oregon. says, how may someone who has community engagement experience on a volunteer level move into a more professional field without the expense of going back to school? <laughs> you have some um, thoughts on that, Liz. Yeah, I, I do, and I actually am a I, I'm a I'm a product of that. I'm a historian of myself um, because I just a short note. My my background is working with sea turtles in the Caribbean, and I uh, found myself living in Vermont that is landlocked and doesn't have a great passion for marine issues, and decided I had to get off my hill and into the community, and didn't have any prior experience with doing civic engagement or participation. And through the heart and soul process, I, um, I really got passionate about working with people and hearing their stories and trying to help decision makers connect those stories to the decisions that get made, um, which has translated into some paid work for me. So it is possible and doable, even if you started on the beaches of the Caribbean. Um, but what I'll say is that, that uh, a lot of that work and the reason why I, I can speak passionately about it is because a lot of the public engagement work, work, work can really be learned by experiences. 
And then through the many resources that are available online, Orton is a, a tremendous, the field guide has tremendous resources on literature and, and strategies and, and things that you can read and, and modify. They really promote uh, copying. So it's, it's one field where if something worked in another community, you try it out in your own and, it, and you can gain some confidence and confidence doing that. Um, the other thing is individuals who are passionate about this work can apply for grants through community foundations if you partner up with a local nonprofit. And that can result in some paid work also as a project manager or a coordinator. And um, in our community in Essex, that has recently happened with a, a, one of our volunteers was hired to, um, on a part-time basis to manage the local farmer's market and um, are working on, on securing grants to make that an even more per permanent uh, position. So there are lots of ways of doing it, and it's one of the fields where the experience that you have is um, as meaningful as a degree that you can get. Awesome. Thank you, Liz. Sure. Dave in, uh, from Virginia asks, how does heart and soul planning fit with a comprehensive plan? I think most of you really spoke to this in your presentation. Uh, certainly, Liz, again, congratulations for your Ethics Town Plan, and uh, we suggest that you check out that link. Uh, Pat talked about it. Sersha, you probably talked about it the least. Do you have something, Sersha, to add about how Heart and Soul helped with your planning and comprehensive plan? Um, excuse me. I would I would add uh, one thing at least um, from the beginning, at the very very beginning of our presentation to the community members, we told them how we would use heart and soul uh, for future planning decisions, and we had some great uh, we had a great graphic um, where it showed. How it's going to how it's going to happen in the legislative arena, how it's going to happen in the policy arena, how it's going to happen in our comprehensive plan, um, and so we had that all laid out. And then, um, and then once it was done, uh, part of an essential part of the comprehensive plan that we did was then taking. Uh, we had two guiding principles: responsive local government and controlled and directed change. And then we we uh, sort of played those out in, in graphically. How does this affect this? How does this affect you know our economic environment, environmental vitality? Um, how does it uh, affect our decision making? How does it affect um, our maintenance? Uh, you know that kind of thing. So it was laid out graphically, and our our comprehensive plan is uh, up very very thorough in taking it from the top down. Basically, here's the big view, here's what we said, here's what that looks like, here's how that's gonna play out in the community, um, uh, both, you know, how, how we're gonna take it down to, to the neighborhood level, to the uh, zoning level, to the legis you know, all of that. And so, and, and our comprehensive plan, by the way, I didn't say this uh, before, but uh, that's available online for you to look at. So it might be something that you would want to check out. Um, yeah. Great. Great, Sersha. And because we've we've had a, a a lot of talk today about comprehensive plans, I'd like to move on unless Pat or Liz are dying to say something in addition here. Okay. No. We're gonna 
we're going to move on, maybe near the end. So the, the fifth question is so interesting. What barriers did you find in creating success with your work, and how have you transcended them? This is coming from Oregon. Uh, Pat, is there, is, there, is there one example you would like to share about barriers and how you overcame that? Um, I think generally community work is is hard. Uh, it takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of time. And anyone who's ever planned a community event, even a, a meeting, knows that there's so many details that need to be tended to. And it's hard to keep your eye um, focused on the prize or the long term while you're trying to manage all the details. So I think that's a pretty big barrier. Um, the specific thing that I would say that we all have to overcome is when you come to the point in a community meeting where people are clashing and working through that. And, um, you know, I can think of um, two examples. One where we were talking about a potential trail going down to the southern part of our uh, city that would follow along the beautiful Kennebec River. And it was all very exciting. And um, we people got into a heated discussion. One gentleman said he wanted the trail for his bike, and the other gentleman wanted the trail um, as a snowmobile trail as it is now. And um, the fellow, you know, they, they got into a fight of, I don't want your snowmobile on my bike trail. So we all have those in our communities. You can you can change the content, but there's always the, I don't want your this on my that. I don't want, um, you know, I don't want you doing something that I don't like. But we're able to work it through, and I think those are the moments that um, that really push you forward onto the next level. And we were able to do that because we included in our in our heart and soul work training on um, how to run a meeting. Um, we also had training on conflict resolution um, and um, training on on um, how to facilitate meetings and things, I think. So that all helped us. So we um, we knew we were going to have conflict. We knew it was going to be hard work, but we made sure that we had skill building built into our our whole effort. And I think that made a big difference mm. because I think it taught people how to work through differences of opinion without making things personal. Thank you, Pat. And uh, Sersha, did you have something? And we we need you to speak up just a little bit with your cell phone there. Um, did you have something that came top of mind when you saw this question? Well, and I, I was thinking about uh, what I didn't know if the question was related to when we were in the process or now um, in terms of results. Um, up front, I think I've already sort of mentioned that we, we did have some concerns from citizens about, um, the, you know, the resources that we were putting into this and is this really going to matter? Is this really just going to go into a book and sit on a shelf? How is this going to be different? So we really had to do a lot of work up front with our citizens in terms of, you know, being fully transparent about what what we were doing, what we planned to do, how we were going to use that information, and how we were going to move forward. We employed lots of visuals, as I mentioned. We had um, a staff member who was brilliant at sort of capsulizing the concerns that were being expressed and then, you know, pivoting to here's how we're going to address that. Um, we also demonstrated over and over and over again that this was uh, supported by the city, but it was citizen-driven. 
It was volunteers that were collecting the stories. It was volunteers that were listening and pulling um, the value statements. And then we had citizens look at and sift through the value statements and the stories. So they were sharing that with one another. Um, we also created uh, a book. And so that's really helped us, our storybook, uh, Visions, uh, oh, I don't have it right in front of me, Voices, Values, and Visions. And so we have that in front of us. Uh, City Council has that in front of us. We recent, in our recent council elections, um, we had eight candidates for three positions. Every single one of those eight people had that book in front of them and were referring to the Golden Vision 2030 plan. So it keeps and we have that as a resource. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, no. So I'm just saying it keeps getting refreshed in the minds of our citizens. Oh, yes, that's what we said. And we're doing it, and we're sticking to it. Right. Um, yeah. Right. So, so the evidence. Thank you. Yeah, it's, and, and it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful plan. Um, Liz, did you, did you have something that, that you wanted to add to this barriers in overcoming them, and then we'll move on? Well, uh, you know, I would just, I agree with what's been said, and I would just encourage you to find people who are, who are comfortable with the chaos. It's a messy process. Some people, as Pat was saying, are okay with process. Other people really want to get to the action. So I, so in our community, um, we recognized early on that one thing that we would like to see is a gathering space, and a coffee shop in particular was missing from what people would like to see in our community, and Rather than waiting for the end of the process and figuring out how we were going to get that, we did a we did a couple of pop up coffee shops in different locations. One in an art gallery in the village, and one out at a cupcake shop in the town. And we uh, we modeled what it would be like to have that there, and 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 being able to have visible um, and uh, spots where people can see the the, uh, the some action being taken while the process people and the data people are doing all the work that needs to go into the value statements and the longer playing the long game you'll see throughout the field guide that that playing the long game piece is really well complemented when you have the other action piece people doing those smaller easier to achieve projects at the same time um, and then the only other thing i would add is that the hardest thing to do is to let go with with what you come into the room with. I'm sure many of you have experienced somebody coming in and having a real agenda. The governance project that I spoke about before sounded lovely, and it was not always lovely. The people um, who wanted to move to that particular form of, of governance thought that they had the golden ticket with Australian ballot, and, um, and through the process and through facilitated conversations and deep diving into governance models, um, we ended up with a much more robust and much more meaningful uh, recommendation moving forward. So there are examples about, uh, and, and that very, the person who came in with the most attachment to that one outcome spoke up several months later at a select board meeting saying, saying that the process really opened up his eyes to other options. So um, I would just encourage you to hang in there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Liz, and thanks to all three of you. for the, Those were wonderful examples. 
Question six uh, from Carl in Nebraska. Your process talks about assessing current community capacity and matching goals, decisions to the available local capacity. What support do you provide to build local capacity and allow communities to turn up their dream switch? What sort of peer learning and connections happen between heart and soul communities? Is there a learning network or some other way to share ideas, stories, and programs? The answer is yes, there is. Orton convenes a community of practice. Uh, this is to promote networking and peer learning. So once you've uh, said that you're involved in this, uh, once you're actively working in it, you're open to these calls that include people who like the people that you are hearing today um, that have been through it and a lot of people who are working on it right now. So it's a great way to get new ideas and learn from others working in small cities and towns. It, uh, so it's regular phone calls with an online platform. And I believe uh, Sersha has been a regular participant on these calls. Do you, do you want to add anything about the community of practice uh, calls from a participant's point of view? <laughs> well, um, here, here was a specific one. So whatever your situation is, you have the opportunity to raise that question into the group, and then likely someone has been through it, or they have some ideas about what to do. One very specific one was that um, we had a city manager who, in Golden who, who is currently a champion for, for the heart and soul process, um, but he was retiring after 22 years. 22 years, that's very unusual for a city manager. So we had a lot of concern in our city about how we were going to replace him, <clears throat> how we were going to do that. And what was, so I asked, into that community practice call, what have other people done? How have you incorporated, you know, the curiosity, the question, the concern, the anxiety about will this person, will this new person come in and embrace our Golden Vision 2030 uh, values? And uh, so I got some good ideas, and and I actually I was I was the lone council member who actually had some productive suggestions for how to do that. So, and it worked out. I mean, I, I, they didn't fight it, but nobody else had really thought about it, whereas I had. So. Right. Thank you, Sarsha. Um, I'm going to combine question seven with two questions that have just come in more recently, uh, 12 and 13. Uh, this question is about how do you walk the line of empowering community members while also ensuring that everyone is working from the same playbook, especially those who engage later in the process. And questions 12 and 13 are about people who come in later in the process or some people leave and move out of town, new people move in. Uh, question 13 is about old-timers versus newcomers, and I see that um, we have some people that are, are helping answer those questions. But, Pat, I, I thought I'd um, call on you to just talk about you know, if, if you don't have the same people that started it out, but people keep coming in during the process and some people are leaving, how do you manage that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, here in Gardner, what we did at the end of the uh, formal stages of Heart and Soul is that we created a duct tape council. Yes, duct tape, as you all know. The two most important tools of community development are tarp and duct tape. So we made our duct tape council, and we called it a duct tape council because it, it sticks together all the nonprofits and community groups in town. So our duct tape council came together at the end of Heart and Soul. We embraced um, the action plan 
and also uh, I sit on that as a city councilor, but also as the chair of the comprehensive plan. So it wraps in the comprehensive plan. It includes groups like the Rotary, the Gardner Main Street, our local board of trade, a local health coalition, a clean lakes agency, the hockey boosters, music boosters, churches, neighborhoods association, the local co-op, the farmers market. You get the idea. It's just it's everybody. Um, and what we do is we meet quarterly. We have a shared calendar, and and so that we know what's going on when, and we can promote each other's uh, events, and um, also can share each other's volunteers. So we're able to post. Um, I forget. There's an online sign up genius or something like that where you can where you can post that you have volunteer uh, needs, and then reach out into other groups to get people to sign up. So we just had our big event in town, the Gardener Days we had Saturday, and everybody was helping, the Rotarians, the Boosters, Gardener Main Street, the city, everybody pitched in and, and made it a spectacular day. So that's how we've been working with the Duct Tape Council. I will say that we have had people come and go. It's been a few years now. Even during the process, we had people come and go. And because we have our core values, uh, that's really, as Sarah said, that's the point that we take everybody back to is, you know, what's your value? Here you have the solution. Maybe you'll, maybe we will all get there and see eye to eye one day, but let's start with the values and here's our action plan and here's the things that we're working on and here's how they were prioritized. Uh, if you think yours is more important, you know, bring it to council, bring it to the duct tape council or the city council and and have a discussion and we'll have other people come and we'll figure out if maybe you've got a need that, that should go to the top of the list. Um, we found out just a few months ago from the Department of Transportation that our, our only two bridges in town, the ones that are the lifeline to our downtown, need to be replaced. And so that's an issue we didn't anticipate in our heart and soul process, but it's right now pretty much back on the top of the list. So hmm. there's issues that come in. There's also people that come in, and I think, um, as we heard from the other the guests today, that just going back to your going back to your values and going back to your your criteria about how different things got on the list really helps. I think it, people tend to be reasonable. Most people are reasonable, mm -hmm. and it and it does work. Um, and we've had people that just that moved here because we had gone through heart and soul and because of all the great things that they heard. So new people um, coming in and people leaving, is, we look at it as an opportunity here. Awesome. We are, we're almost out of time, but I, I'd like to ask two more questions, so I might ask Sersha and, and Liz to answer them. Um, one is about mobile homes. Somebody uh, from New York, Joyce from New York, says, I'd like to incorporate your ideas into changing the image of mobile home parks in New York State. And I just want to let you know, Joyce, that we have put up a link to uh, Starksboro, a video from Starksboro, where an artist came in and made signs for the uh, people in, for all the mobile home parks. Um, in that town, and it made the people in the parks feel they were more part of the town, and the town recognized these parks uh, in a way that they never had before. And, Sersha, one of your passions is, is bringing in um, people who usually weren't didn't seem included in a, in a process. Do you want to just speak quickly to that about what you did um, out there in Colorado? Sure. Our uh, local advisory committee... Um, had strategized about how to reach um, these missing or hard-to-reach voices 
but their first efforts, uh, they discovered that these folks, the folks in the mobile home park, were not coming to the neighborhood block parties, which was our primary method, and uh, that wasn't working. So we realized that we have to go to them. They're actually not going to come to us. And uh, I don't know if that's going to be true in other mobile home parks, but in this case it was. So we created a different form. We had a chili social. We took it to them. We met in their clubhouse. Um, we also um, began, uh, that was, a, we, that I mentioned the neighborhood rehab uh, projects. That is, uh, the mobile home park is a focus of that. So they're feeling like the city of Golden is interested in them and interested in helping them. Also, my copy with the counselor, I specifically solicited two people uh, to come to those on a regular basis. I created with the city an email newsletter that would go out to anybody so they could stay connected um, and also just door to door. Uh, I find with that, that particular population, they feel separate at least in our case they did, and so going door to door, eyeball to eyeball was was good. Um, so <laughs> there's more I could say about that, but I'll leave it at that. This is such a strong call that um, I'm just taking it a few minutes over. We'll give one last question to Liz, and I um, encourage all of our guests to uh, continue to add to this conversation via the Google Doc, because this is so powerful, um, especially, uh, let me see, we're going to um, go to Liz, for approaching immediate community needs while still planning for the long term. So how do you, how do, you do those? Do you go after that low-hanging fruit while you're planning uh, longer-term things, and, and how did you do that? Uh, yeah, so just quickly, I, some ideas will be immediately achievable. Just do them. Others will take a lot longer and might require charter changes or voting from the electorate. As I said before, that working on both things at the same time will help to increase trust and visibility in the community. And um, skill set, skills inventories, where you find out who those people are and put their skills to use in ways that's meaningful to each volunteer so that people aren't sitting there in a process conversation when they really want to be building the picnic table is really important. In Essex, we provided a lot of uh, few opportunities for community members to to share ideas about ways to bring those values to life. And we learned that um, that the community and the municipalities and individuals were already working on initiatives that were uh, aligned with our values. So, uh, And that raises up the work that had gone on before the process began and really helps people to feel like they get it and are part of it. So an example that we had was an, uh, um, something called Essex Eats Out. It's a citizen group led by Essex faith leaders, and it brings the community together to enjoy free community dinners every Friday. Um, and that is a result of, of finding those people who are already doing that work and raising the visibility. And over the course of the last couple of years, it's really become a, a cherished community event on Fridays. Um, the other quick example is that the Essex Economic Development Commission conducted a survey to see after our heart and soul process if there was interest in creating a co-working space for Essex residents um, who work from home, and the result is a new um, office building, a new beautiful working space that is um, called Accelerate Essex, and it serves as a home for heart and soul and a number of other entrepreneurs and professionals in our community. Um, so I would just encourage you to see what's already happening and, and get those people involved to, to help spread the word and, and raise that visibility. 
Fantastic. And, and I know that um, including Gardner, a number of towns have done like planters and flowers, and which, which works wonderfully. Unfortunately, we are all out of time. Uh, I hope that uh, Dave's question about how a community um, like Ashland, Virginia, estimates costs and benefits of the heart and soul approach that maybe Pat, our economist, and or Sersha will, will add uh, their two bits to his question on the Google Doc. I, I want to thank uh, Sersha Cheris-Graves for joining us today from Colorado, Liz Subin for your stories from Essex, and thanks so much to Pat Hart for your insights from Maine. Thanks to all three of you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks. Really awesome. <laughs> Wonderful call. And, uh, I got ideas. Yeah, great ideas. Sorry. <laughs> thanks to all of you for joining our call today. Please take out uh, take just a moment to fill out a very brief survey about this call by clicking the link at the top of the Google Doc in the announcements section so we can make adjustments or enhance what we're doing right. A podcast of this call and the Google Doc call notes will be emailed around and posted online in the next few days. We hope you also continue to add to this Google Doc. We know we've, there's a lot of wisdom out there um, from these three uh, wonderful women, but also from all of you that are listening in. So please feel free to continue to add to the Google Doc. And we hope you join us for our next Orton Family Foundation event on July 21st when we partner with the Citizens Institute on Rural Design, or CIRD, to talk about rural diversity and how to engage, embrace, and empower diverse voices in rural design efforts. Thank you all for participating. We hope you walk away with inspiration about what community heart and soul can do in your town. For all of us at the Orton Family Foundation, I'm Fran Stoddard. Hope to see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.